but you know what <laughs> it's all good what do you guys eat when you need to increase your vision let me know tacos <laughs> you eat seafood <laughs> all right let's stand up um <laughs> that was really bad Say the other one. no <laughs> i forgot it already <laughs> All right, guys, we're here to worship the Lord. Um, as we sing this song, you know, we're just asking the Lord to do what he wants with us today, that we would have our hearts open and softened to what he has for us. Amen? All right. All right, let's sing It's Your Heart. It's your heart we're searching for. We want you and nothing more. Let your glory fill this place. We're alive in your presence. Come on, sing it out. Lord, it's your heart we're searching for. We want you.
know you guys, I don't know if you're here on Wednesday night, but we introduced a new song um, called Son of Suffering. And, um, you know, as we start preparing for, you know, Resurrection Sunday, um, Easter, right? Um, I'm looking at the song and it's just reminded me of Isaiah 53 when it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. He was beaten, he was bruised for us, for our sins. And he knew that we were going to turn our back on him, right? He knew that we are going to still sin, but yet he still did it because of his great love for us. God in heaven, your blood still speaking. 
God, this is what living looks like. And this is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what You may be seated. Good morning, guys. All right. Hey, so we're doing uh, something a little different today. We're still going to have a Bible teaching uh, later on. Uh, But just so you know, in the next handful of minutes, there's going to be a evacuation drill that's happening. Okay. And so there's going to be basically the, uh, the PA system's going to go blank. And then over the speakers, you're going to hear some kind of noise. And then it's going to say, hey, this is an evacuation drill. Okay. At that point, you don't need to freak out, especially because it's just a drill. But even if it's not a drill, you should not freak out during the case of an evacuation. Okay. So just for about, this should take probably about 10 minutes. Uh, we're going to get up very calmly. We're going to head out that door. And we are going to go down the wedding uh, courtyard stairs out to the parking lot, line up, stand till they tell us we're good. Then we come back up and we resume our service. We get a couple more announcements in and then we get into our Bible study. Okay, so uh, the, the more organized that we are, the quicker we can get back in our room and get back to our service. Okay, uh, so when that happens, uh, basically we'll have section by section just head out. Um, we'll just kind of have that section go and then this section and then this section and then that one. Okay. So just nice and orderly single file line. Uh, we'll go out that door. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. So when the drill happens, you don't need to freak out, especially cause it's just a drill. Okay. Um, and that's so in the future, if there is a fire or there's something that we need to get out of the building, we know where to go and what to do rather than running around like chickens with their head cut off. Okay. Make sense. All right. So when we do come back up, just for the sake of time, go ahead and grab your Bibles and notebook, paper, and pens then. Then you'll sit down, and then we'll probably have time for another announcement or so, and then get into it, okay? First announcement for the day is VBS Help. VBS is coming up in uh, just a couple months from now. Uh, We have flyers uh, by the Bibles and in the snack bar for you to take. 
All the information that you need uh, is, is within a QR code on that flyer. And so you are now of the age where you're no longer attending, but you get to go and serve. You get to be a, an assistant group guide or help run some games, some really cool things. Maybe you've never served the Lord before at church. This is a great first step to try that out. Uh, it's gonna, during the summer, and so school is done, and uh, it's going to be a good time. So we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, the next announcement is Bibles. Now you're like, what do you mean? Bibles. Well, we got some new Bibles for you guys. We're really excited about this. A lot of the old Bibles had all kind of, kinds of different writing in it and drawings and stuff like that. And so uh, God has blessed us with 40, is it 40? 40 brand new Bibles. And they're not like the ones we had before. The ones we had before uh, were not the greatest because they were loner Bibles. They were, they were ones that people left here and it just became part of that pile. So we have 40 brand new Bibles. So we want to encourage you guys, first of all, to bring your own Bibles so that you don't even need to use these so that we can keep these fresh for when you do maybe miss a week where you're like, oh, I left my Bible in the car. I had it, but it's not here. Well, these new Bibles are for you guys to use when you forget your own. And also, we have sometimes people that come to church for the very first time, and they didn't even know they're to bring a Bible. How awesome would it be if they have a Bible, rather than with junior high writing all over it, it's, it's still in great condition, and then we can tell them, hey, you know, you don't have a Bible? Why don't you just take this one? Uh, rather than, you know, some of the pages are ripped out and it's used and chewed on and all kinds of stuff. And so basically, we're asking you guys, let's treat these Bibles super well. Uh, first of all, you should never write in the Bible unless it's your own and it's for like note-taking, but it's not a doodling pad, right? That's why we have notebook paper and things like that. And so if you wanna take notes, we have notebook paper and we'll just try to keep these Bibles nice so that even a year from now, if someone new comes, we can make the announcement, hey, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to take the one that you are borrowing and you just put your own name in it and then you can bring that next week. Um, does that make sense? So we're excited about these, treat them well, and uh, we'll see what God wants to do with that. But any, any questions on the new Bibles? So listen, today, if you're like, man, I don't have a Bible at home, or I have to borrow with someone else, um, then we want you to take this. Uh, you, it just says junior high ministry in it, but listen, the name area is still open for you to write your name, and this can be your Bible, but only if you are dedicated to bring it to church with you, and you are dedicated to read it. Okay? Make sense? All right, cool. Uh, the next announcement's exciting. Uh, we have some spring break events coming up. Now, a lot of our spring breaks, uh, the actual break is different than each other. However, the, the spring break week is uh, the week of, uh, what is it, the 27th. And we have an event uh, that we're going to do on Monday March 27th from 6 to 8 at Skate Express, all right? What we have done is rented out uh, the entire Skate Express facility. It's a rollerblading rink, uh, and they have all kinds of stuff other than even rollerblading. They have mini bowling and arcade games, even have these bumper car type things. It's going to be a blast. We're going to have pizza and food. It's going to be something that you want to come to, okay? And so I want to encourage you guys to sign up. Uh, the cost is $25. That includes the skate rental. That includes food and mini bowling and all the rest, Tate, can you go and see, because it's 821 and it's already supposed to happen. Just see if high school's filling out. Oh, there it is. There you go. Gave it away. Will all those please evacuate immediately and repeat, we are initiated in 
All right, you guys can go, and we can head out that door right there. All right, you guys can go. You guys can stand. You guys can go. Go. Nope, leave everything here. All right, you guys can stand up and go. All right, Duran, let's go. We're walking out. No, no, keep, keep your Bible here. Let's go. We're doing our evacuation drill. Head out that way. We're coming back. We'll, we'll tell you after.
All right, now's your opportunity to grab a Bible. So if you didn't grab one of our new ones and you didn't bring one, go ahead and do that. Notebook, paper, pens, and we'll get back into the announcements in a moment. All right. That wasn't, that was, that was super easy, super quick. Yes, no, I'm going to get, I'm going to still get to the Skate Express as well. So guys, sign up for this, all right? I'm telling Tate that I want 150 students here, all right? We're already one third of the way there, but it is one week from tomorrow, all right? So I think we can get 150, but you guys got to go sign up. You guys got to tell your friends, all right? Who do you think, raise your hand if you think you're going to, you're going to be able to come to this. Raise your hand. If money is an issue, then you come and talk to me, all right? We want you guys to come. It's going to be a really fun night. We don't want you to miss out. So Skate Express on the 27th, all right? And then that following Wednesday, the 29th, we're having something called the Late Night Hangout, all right? This is 9 to 11 p.m. So basically, we're going to come and have church service as normal, and then we're just going to stay for about two and a half hours later than that. And we are going to have games. We're going to have this room set up with, with different like crafts and things like that, board games. And then uh, we're even trying to get, get a hold of the gym to be able to maybe have dodgeball or things along that nature. So it's going to be fun. Uh, it's, it's a great excuse for you to uh, stay out late uh, because it's here at church. And so it's going to be fun. All right. Uh, there's no cost for that. Um, but we will have kind of the snack bar open late. And so that week is going to be a blast. All right. So make sure to talk to your parents and uh, get ready for a couple of our spring break events in just a, just about a week and a half from now. Okay, cool. All right. You guys have those Bibles of yours, whether one that you brought or one that you're borrowing, you guys can turn in your Bibles to first Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two, we're looking at a message entitled the stranger's reputation, the stranger's reputation. Now, last week we had Ray comfort uh, in the main sanctuary. And so we streamed that in and that was such a timely, great message for us, uh, given uh, March 16th, the 316 day this last week. Uh, but now this brings us back into kind of our regularly scheduled Sunday sermon, which is through our series called Strangers in the book of First Peter. Now, during our last study, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the new life we have in Jesus. Peter spoke of the place that the word of God is to have in our life and how Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Remember, we talked about that. I illustrated that with Jenga, uh, with the piece at the bottom that Jesus is what keeps it all together. And we concluded our time last time, two weeks ago, rejoicing in the fact that because of the word of God and because the fact that Jesus is the cornerstone, we now are the people of God. And so as these people of God, we belong to another world. We have been called out of the darkness and into his marvelous lights. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like to live as the light in a dark world, to live as a light in a dark world. Jesus said in John chapter eight, he said, I am the light of the world. He was that which brought illumination to a dark and lost world. But then we also know in Matthew chapter five, that Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, you are the light of the world. 
See, Jesus knew that he wasn't gonna be on earth in person forever. And that after he had ascended, it would be his disciples that would carry on the light of life. But as the light of the world, our lives must look different than the world. And to do that, we have to be blameless. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says this, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And we live right now in a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's what we are to be as believers. Our reputation is to be that of a blameless, harmless children of God without fault. And in the Bible, Daniel in the Old Testament serves as a really good example of this. You guys know about Daniel in the Bible, right? We know about Daniel in the lion's den. We know about his friends not, stand, not bowing, but standing. As a teenager, Daniel was brought to a land that he was a stranger in stranger. And as much as they tried to get him to conform to the ways of their pagan Babylonian culture, the Bible tells us that Daniel stood strong and stood as a light in the darkness. And so as we dive into the areas that we are to shine as lights by the way that we live regarding our reputation and witness as strangers on the earth. That's what we're going to learn, learn about today, all right? So let's read. You guys can stand for the reading of God's word. We will be in 1 Peter 2, and we're going to start in verse 11 and go to verse 25. So you guys can go ahead and stand with those Bibles in hand, and uh, you guys can basically read along with us, all right? Remember, we stand out of honor and respect for the word of God. Starting there in verse 11, the Bible says this, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. And we'll end the chapter in verse 23, 24, and 25. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would teach us as we study your word. Lord, we know that this is a big chunk of scripture that we just read, but it's all about, Lord, you using us as a light in our dark world. God, would you direct us regarding what our reputation, our witness should be as we follow you. When we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Now that's a big chunk, uh, but we're going to break this big chunk into three areas that the stranger, the Christian, is to have in regard to a good reputation and witness. Uh, The first area that I want you to note down, we find in verses 11 and 12. And that is the area of moral living, moral living. We're going to talk about what our reputation ought to be in regards to moral living. Now, Peter addresses them, notice verse 11, as beloved. He says, beloved. They are not only dearly loved by God, but cherished by Peter. We know this because of Peter's plea to them. If Peter didn't love them, then he wouldn't say the hard truths to them. And so he says, beloved, he says, those that are loved by God and loved by me, he says, I beg you. He says, I beg you. Note that word there in verse 11, I beg you. To, it means to earnestly support or to encourage an action, to urge or to appeal. It's how some of you will beg or appeal your parents to take you out to breakfast after service. Please don't make me go home and eat whatever we have. Now, this is a little more serious than that. It's not just a a plea for something personal, but it's a plea for their benefit. This is not just a suggestion, what we're about to look at. It's not a take it or leave it. It is a heartfelt plea. He says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. And that's the topic, right? That's our, that's our theme for our series, that you and I are pilgrims or strangers on this earth, simply passing through. And Peter here uses their status as the basis for his plea. He says, listen, because this is not your home, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts. That word abstain, if you're taking notes, it means to avoid or to refrain from. It's not just a don't do, but what verse 11 instructs us to do is stay away from at all costs. Make no space for these evil desires in your life. Jesus said it like this. He said, if your right eye or your right hand causes you to sin, He says, pluck it out and cast it from you. Cut it off and get it away from you. Now, we know that Jesus was not condoning self-harm, right? He was using an extreme example to get across the point that we must get extreme about our fleshly desires. Now, does he actually want you plucking out your eye? No, because that wouldn't do you no good. 
You pluck out one eye and then your left eye causes you to sin. You sin with your right hand and now your left hand causes you to sin. It won't do anything. But what Jesus is trying to communicate, he says, you must get serious about sin. He describes these lusts and desires, Peter does. He says that these are those that make war against the soul. Look at verse 11. He says that these are those fleshly lusts that make war against the soul. And this is something that all of us deal with. This is something that all of us go through who are born again believers. Now, if you're not a Christian, then there's no war going on inside of you. You sin and it's fine. You don't really feel bad about it. In fact, you try to get away with it. But as a believer, there's something different. There's a war that's taking place. Galatians 5.17 so describes this. For the flesh, that's, those, that's that sin that dwells in us. It lusts against the spirit. That word literally means to make war against the spirit, the spirit of God in us and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. They don't get along so that you do not do those things that you wish. You guys ever experienced this? God's speaking to you about something. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but then you go and, and, and you try and it just, man, I, I'm doing the things that I don't want to do and I'm not doing those things that I know I should do. And it's this battle. It's been said before that the real battle is not with the people around us, but it's with the passions within us. D.L. Moody, he was a great evangelist, one of the, one of the great evangelists of, of the 20th century. He said this, he said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any man I know. The idea would be this, me saying to you, I have more trouble with Joel Pickett than any other man I know. Meaning there are there people that sure rub me wrong or I get in trouble, that get me in trouble or that, but it's really me. It's really the, the sinful desires in me. I don't need anyone's help to get myself in trouble with sin. You see, but for the person in Christ, we got to recognize that this battle is a battle that's already been won. This victory was gained by Christ on the cross when he broke the power of sin in our lives. And so we then must make every effort not to walk in our own strength, because you'll fail, but to walk in his spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, you can note it down. It uses the same word that we find in verse 11, abstain. Abstain from every form of evil. And I think this is good for us to think about for a moment. Sometimes we think of ourselves as, well, I'm not doing anything outright evil. Yeah, but are you getting close? Are you getting around it? Are you allowing it in your life? That word form, it means appearance. So even if it's not outright sin, if it has the possibility to look evil, remember, we're talking about our reputation in, our, in this world, we're to get away from it. We're to go above and beyond every form of evil. It's to not mark the life of the believer. But Peter goes further. Look there in verse 12 in your Bibles. Peter goes further and says that our conduct is to be honorable among the Gentiles. Now, whenever the Bible uses Gentiles in this context, it's talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers should look at our lives and when they look at our lives, they should see Jesus. Not perfection, 
but a pursuit of righteousness. They might still hate us, but within the morality, the area of morality, what we ought to be is what the Bible calls blameless. Blameless. Think about the word blameless. It means unable to blame. They can't say, well, you Christian, you say you live by this standard, but look at your life here. You're cheating this way. You're lying to this person. You're calling this person this name. No, they should be, they should be able to search our life and say, man, I don't see any area of blame. There will be times where they speak of us as evildoers, but we must not allow those accusations to be accurate but simply a result of their own sinfulness. You see, we live in a day and age where the world is calling what is good, they're calling it evil. And what is evil, they're calling it good. So when you and I live our life according to the Bible, which is the standard for good, they say, you're an evildoer. Now, there might be, there might be that accusation, but we just must not allow it to be accurate. So at some point, God is to get the glory from our life. Look at the end of verse 12 there. The end of verse 12. You guys still have your Bibles open? That they may, by your good works, which they observe, they look at your life, and so they glorify God in the day of visitation. That whether that be if the person comes to salvation and they now see your steadfast witness and they look back and they glorify God and say, man, that... That believer in my life, they, they just, they were always solid. There was no area of blame. Or on the day of judgment for them when your life was an example of righteousness and they were put to shame. You see, people look for any excuse to, follow, to not follow Jesus. You know that, right? Any excuse to not follow Jesus. Now, all of those excuses we know, according to the Bible, they will fail before Almighty God in the day of judgment. However, we must not allow our lack of righteousness or morality, moral living, to be used as an excuse. We must not be able to, for them to say, man, I was going to start following Jesus, but then I looked at their life and they're just the same as me. They just go to church on Sundays. No, our lives must be different. Our life must be lived in a way that would draw others to glorify God. Matthew 5, 16 it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Right, you guys know this verse. This is right after Jesus says, you are the light of the world. That we are to live in a way, not for someone to look at our life and say, man, I knew they were just like everybody else. Hypocrite. And not, listen, not that our life is supposed to be perfect, but it is to be different. We are to be recognizably strange, not because we're weird, but because we are, because God has changed our life. And they look and they say, man, why, why are they the way they are? You see, we don't seek to live a good life for good's sake. We seek to live a good moral life for God's sake, that he might be glorified through our life. So that when we share Jesus with someone, they, they don't have the excuse, well, they say, well, look at your life. It's a mess. You've done this or you did that. And that might be a past thing, but there shouldn't be anything present in our life that would, that would make the name of Christ 
ashamed. Now, as I previously said, Daniel is a great example of this area of a reputation or a witness, and especially in the area of moral conduct. Daniel chapter 6 is the famous chapter of Daniel in the lion's den. And there's this section that I'm going to bring up with each of our points regarding uh, Daniel's witness, because he's such a real-life example for us of what this looks like. See, Daniel is now old at this time. I don't know how you always envision Daniel in the lion's den, but in that story, he's an old man. He has stood the test of time. For decades, he has lived in this pagan culture, and God has used him. And he wasn't perfect, but he was blameless. There was no area of life that they could come in and say, well, look at him. We're going to take him down because he has these skeletons in the closet. No, check this out. There were people that hated him because of his success that God gave him. Notice verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors, the satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. He gave it all. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. The king said, man, I'm going to just put him over everything. And so, verse 4, the governors and satraps, those leaders who were jealous, they sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. What law did he break? What's an area that's a little gray? What, what, what makes him look a little bit off that we could go and say, look, he's not as great as you thought. Oh, Daniel. But look, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful nor is there any error or fault found in him. Man, this should be our life. This should be our life. That if someone was to come and they were trying to, they, they knew they felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but they said, I'm gonna look into their life and see if it's real. That they would look and see that it was blameless because God was working in our life. We too are to seek to be found faithful within every area of our life as we live as strangers, okay? So in regards to moral living, we are to be blameless. But what about the area of civil obedience? This is something that Peter brings up next. He says that we should first abstain from fleshly lusts. Our moral life should not be full of lies, cheating, hypocrisy, and evil deeds, but good deeds, so much so that they see our life and they say, wow, God has worked in their life. But what about the area of government, the area of civil obedience? I'm going to read to you again, just the first part here, verse 13 and 14. He says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Okay, this is significant. I want you to note down that Peter hits us with the therefore, all right? He hits us with the therefore. Whenever the scriptures hit us with the therefore, we must recognize that this brings us to a focus of application based upon what was just said. So verse 11 and 12, he says, we are to live in a way that men would see our life and glorify God. And so he says, therefore, now a point of application, let's get specific. Because we are to live blameless lives, this stretches into the area of what we're gonna call civil 
obedience. It says to submit yourself to every ordinance of man. That word submit, I want you to note it down. It means to simply be obedient. To submit means to be obedient. And you might say, wait, I, I thought we are only supposed to obey God. And that's absolutely true. And God has told us to obey the authorities that he has put over us in our life, whether it be our parents as minors or the government as adults. You see, if you rebel against the God-placed authority with your parents in your life, that will be no different when you become an adult. We will always have someone in authority over us that God has placed there. The Bible says that God has his hand in the area of authority. Remember what Jesus told Pilate, John 19, 11, Jesus being tried, being sent up to be crucified. And Jesus answered one of Pilate's questions and check this out. Oh, I wish I could have heard this. He says to Pilate, the reigning authority in the land, he says, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Jesus tells Pilate, he looks at him in the face and he says, the only reason you have a job is because God is the one who's given it to you. This gives us an insight that God has his hand within the governing authorities of one's nation and land. Peter says, I want you to do this for the Lord's sake. Okay, notice verse 13. We gotta notice the motivation. He says, do this for the Lord, not for the sake of the person who is in the place of authority, but for the position that was established by God. You may say, well, I don't like that person. God doesn't even really like that person. Now that's not true, but he doesn't maybe like the sin of that person. I'm not gonna obey them. God says, no, no, don't do it for the person. Do it for the God-established position. Every ordinance of man. This is the administrative unit of government, whether it's the president or the king, whether it's the governor or the mayor, whether it's an officer of the law of the land, whatever it might be, someone who is an authority within the nation you live in, God says, submit yourself to them. Obey the laws of the land. I want you guys to turn to Romans 13 for a moment. The two main passages regarding civil obedience or obedience to governing authorities are in 1 Peter 2 and in Romans 13. If anyone comes to you and say, man, we don't need to obey the government. I'm not going to pay my taxes. I'll drive however I want. I'm going I'm to take that ticket and rip it up. Then you bring them and you say, wait, you're a believer. All right, let's go to 1 Peter 2 and let's go to Romans 13. Let's see what God has to say about that. Romans 13. Romans 13. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 7. All right, these are the two sections. Someone says, we don't have to obey the government. You take them here. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That's pretty straightforward. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. You want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. Obey the law. And you will have praise from the same. 
For he is God's minister to you for good. This is talking about an officer. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword, or in our day, the gun, in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath or because of fear, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Super clear. He says, whatever governing authorities are within your land, he says, obey them. He says, they're there to uphold righteousness and goodness. He says, pay your taxes, obey the law. He says, and if you don't, you should be afraid. Those officers have a sword or a gun for a reason, and they are to uphold what is good. See, by and large, we should be obeying the government that we live under. Christians among all people should have a reputation above and beyond civil obedience. Even if we disagree with how things are being run, we say, man, I don't agree with how much I have to pay on this. And that speed limit is 35? Nah, it should really be 55. We don't get to change that. No, we submit ourselves to the authority that God has placed over us, even with bad leaders, even with corrupt leaders. We submit, we obey. This is God's will. However, within that clarity that scripture gives, there is a line that can be crossed on the side of governing authorities. And that line is clearly marked with the word of God. You see, as soon as, as the government steps over the line of the commandments of God and asks you to do something contrary to the commandments of God, that is when you actually disobey the government and God would expect such. Let me give you an example from Acts 4. Acts 4, verse 18 through 20. This is something the early church experienced. John and Peter were preaching and healing in the name of Jesus, something they were commanded by Jesus to do. There were, of course, some people that didn't like it. And so they arrest them, they beat them, and they tell them, don't do it any longer. These are the authority in the land. And look what happens, verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Peter and John were commanded to do something directly contrary to what God had told them to do. So in this case, catch this, their disobedience became their obedience to God. You guys hear me? Their disobedience to government became their obedience to God. An example of this recently is when we were told as a church by the government to no longer have our church services. At first, we did our best to comply and obey. The church was quite literally, this campus was shut down for weeks. 
But when it was obvious that there was no imminent threat against the orders of the state, that they said, don't meet. And God in his word said, gather together, worship, learn about me. There came a point when we had church and our disobedience, we were in outright disobedience. The government, the state of California said, don't gather. You cannot have more than a hundred people in a room. And we had thousands. What, uh, wait, but I thought Peter says, submit yourselves to the government. They lose all authority when they go against the authority of God. Does that make sense? This is important. You're like, what's the big deal? I'm like 13. Like, I'm, not, I'm just supposed to, I'm barely obeying my parents, let alone the government. Listen, there's gonna be a day where you're an adult. And we are living in a time when our government is overreaching more and more within the word of God. That more and more, they cross the line. There's one line they cross and they're seeing how far they can get. And you see, in those moments, the church is not to stand in rebellion, but in obedience, obedience to God. Make sense? Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You see, obedience to the government, which should be a majority of the time, right? Whether it's whatever the different examples we've talked about, most of the time, we ought to be the best citizens of doing good. So that, listen, so that in those times that the word of God is crossed, that the commandment goes against the commandments of God, then we say, listen, I am willing to obey you in every area, but this one I can't. Look at our track record. And our church had that track record. Yeah, we'll do the fire code and this, and we'll, we'll obey the laws of the land. But until... But when it crosses God's law, that's when we'll do something different. But listen, we're to do this as bondservants of God. Look there in your Bibles. Note this. It's easy to miss. But there in, in verse 16, it says, As free, free in Christ, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. You see, the majority of the time, you and I are to live with the servant mentality. Not taking our freedom in Jesus and taking personal advantage. Let me give you an example. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says something similar. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. We've been called to freedom. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, this, is, this should be our mindset, our mind frame is that we are servants of the king. Now, some people take this too far and they say, well, man, I'm from another world. I don't need to obey the government of this one. I belong to one king and one kingdom. And so I don't need to obey my earthly one. Yet God would say, that is not the attitude we're to have. But loving our neighbors is the fulfillment of the law of God. And one of the best ways we can love our neighbors is to obey the laws of the land. Because listen, the majority of them are set in place for the benefit of all people. And you and I, more than anyone, should be about the benefit of all people because we know, we know the truth and we know God's love for everyone else. And so Peter concludes this thought 
with a four-point summary. All right, look at verse 17, then we'll move on to our third and final section. Look at the four-point summary of how Christians should act in regard to their earthly citizenship. We have a heavenly one, and that should affect how we are regarding citizen, our citizenship here. And I love just the simplicity of this. Four-point summary, verse 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I feel like that could be like a chant or something, right? Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. It could be like, I, I don't know, it just sounds cool. Honor everyone, all people, honor them. Drive according to the, how, how the laws that are put in place. Because listen, if you go 120 on the freeway, you're probably going to hurt someone else. So listen to the laws of the land. Love the brotherhood. This, this is the believers that we should be living in that way. Fear God alone. He's the only one we're to fear. But God says to honor the king or that kingly position. Again, Daniel such a great example of this. Think about that story of Daniel in Daniel 6. He's that great example of that balance. Think about it. Daniel was literally a part of the government. The king came to this point. They said, man, he is doing so well. I think I'm just going to put him in charge of everything, and I'll sit back and hang out. He was literally involved in the government, and of course he was obeying it, but so much to the point that they couldn't find anything against it. We read verse three and four earlier, but notice that the charge that they tried to find against Daniel was concerning the kingdom. What law did he break? No, he was above reproach. So much so that they came to the conclusion, the only way that we're gonna get him is if there's a command that crosses the line of the word of God. Because we know he's not gonna break the command of God and that's where we'll get him. And so that's why I highlighted here the word unless. Unless Daniel, unless we change the laws, he won't cross it unless the law crosses the law of God. Does that make sense? Great example of that balance. So you guys know the story of Daniel chapter six, lion's den. The law changed. They said, no one can pray for 30 days except to the king alone. Well, Daniel has been praying since a little kid. He was praying three times a day. So what did he do? He did what he always did. Nothing changed. He went into his house and he prayed three times that day. And of course, you know the rest of the story. Which brings us to the third area of the stranger's reputation. The third area, which is the area of wrongful treatment. It's when you get treated wrong. When you were innocent, but you were then condemned in some way. You were, you were mistreated. Now, within the context of the stranger's reputation, Peter addresses those who are not only under the authority of government, we talked about that, but they also live under the authority of a master or a boss. He uses the same word. Look there in your Bibles, verse 18. He says, servants, be submissive. That's the same word that we saw in verse 13. It means to obey. When talking about a servant to a master or what we similarly think about today as an employee to a boss, or for you, maybe even today, it could apply to a student and a teacher. Okay, this is someone, what we're being referred to is someone in your life who's an authority, but not 
a governing authority. Okay, so they're not part of the government. They're not like a police officer, but they're in your life. A teacher, um, some, someone in your life that has some kind of authority over you. When you get older one day, this will be a boss. Okay, that's the situation that's kind of given. But what is the direction given? The direction is given is when that person in authority mistreats you and you experience personal injustice, the Bible says that in that moment, you're not to get revenge or retaliation, but to endure it patiently. Peter says, don't only, only notice verse Verse 18, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Not just to those who are super nice in your life, but even if there's someone that's harsh, to the point that word harsh means crooked, even dishonest, morally corrupt. God says, if they're an authority in your life, my expectation for you is that you still submit yourself to them. Now listen, the same application with civil government applies. So if that person in authority says, I want you to cross this line of the word of God, God commands you to do this, but I want you to do something else. That is when that person has now overstepped their authority and you do not have to obey them or submit to them. But if they're just someone who may be in your life, like they're not great. Like even God would say like, yeah, they're not great. God says, I want you to be an example of how to endure patiently. And he says that this is commendable before God, right? Why would we do this? Why would we do this? Well, because this is commendable before God. That word commendable is the word that's often translated as grace. It means that if you do this, let's say you're in a situation and someone is mistreating you. And, and, and when I say mistreatment means, you know, you got blamed for something that you didn't do. What I don't mean is, is like they physically attack you or abuse you in some way. Okay, that you need to then, they have now overstepped their authority and don't listen to them, okay? But this is in the general area where maybe one day you have a job and there's a boss who just, man, he's hard. He's nice to this guy, but he's making you come in early and he's mistreating you and, and calling you names, you see, if when we're mistreated, we endure it without retaliation and revenge, God says, I see that. I see that. And it, and it will not go without reward. That's the idea of commendable, that one day God's gonna, we're gonna be before him and God said, hey, listen, with that boss or that teacher or that situation, I saw, I saw the whole thing because I'm God. And I saw how you took it. And that was a great example and witness to me because they did this because you were a Christian or they did this because of this and I saw it and you will be rewarded for that. Notice verse 20. Verse 20 says, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently when you're punished, when you do something wrong, but when you do good and suffer and then you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, this is not something that you can take where, you know, you did something wrong. You said, oh, well, I'll just, you know, I'll really take it because that's what the Bible says. And, you know, you don't get extra credit for that. You deserved what you got. Like, for example, if you get in trouble at school for, for talking during class or you pulled someone's hair or something like that. And then you, and then you get a detention and you're like, oh, you know, I'll just, I'll just take the detention. I'm, I'm not going to complain. That's not commendable before God. 
you got what was coming to you. But let's say you did good. You didn't pull anyone's hair. You didn't talk to any, anyone during class, but you're the one that gets in trouble. Our initial response is, ah! right? That's always our initial, I didn't do anything. No, that was him. But God says, if you can take it patiently. Now, this is what God loves. He loves to see it and it will be rewarded. So whether that's in an area like that or an area if even maybe you're mistreated for being a Christian, God says, you're going to be rewarded. I'm going to see it. Matthew 5, 11 kind of examples this. When he says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now notice the persecution doesn't come because you were a weirdo or did something wrong, but it's because you lived for Jesus. That you stood for Jesus, you lived for him, and you were mistreated because of it. God says, I see that. And though you are mistreated here, I will make sure that you are commended in heaven. See, Daniel, again, was a great example of this. There's no verse that I can even show you because when you read the story of Daniel in the lion's den in chapter six, you don't see any complaining on Daniel's part right? Because you know the story. Eventually he goes and prays. And so the, those people who were jealous of him show the king and say, king, like he disobeyed. We got to throw him in the lion's den. That was the thing. And the king's hands are tied. And so he has to do it. You don't see Daniel justifying himself. You don't see him complaining. You don't see him in, in the lion's den trying to talk to the, the lions about getting revenge on those guys. Now, did God see through it that those guys would get uh, taken care of. Yeah, and they actually did get thrown into the lion's den, but spoiler alert. But you don't see Daniel responding in a way he patiently endured it. And look, God saw him through. But more than even the example of Daniel, Peter points us to the example of Jesus. Look there in verse 22. We find Jesus's example. He says, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You see, Jesus left the best example of how we live as strangers in this world when we suffer. We are to follow his example, his steps. See, some people respond sinfully when they're mistreated. They are sinned against, and so then they sin. Oftentimes hurt people, hurt people. So they get hurt by someone and then they, they retaliate. Oftentimes we seek to overcome evil with evil, but the Bible says, I want you to overcome evil with good. And Jesus, more than any man, was innocent, right? But was he mistreated? Oh man, was he. He was taken, he was beaten. He was tortured, and then eventually murdered. And look at the example of Jesus. We're told in this passage that there is no deceit found in his mouth. Meaning he didn't try to worm his way out of it or lie his way out of it. He didn't say, no, no, that was another guy named Jesus. No, he took it. No deceit. No reviling. This means that 
right? He was reviled. He was mocked and ridiculed. He was called names. Oh, the king of the Jews. And they took the crown of thorns and they took the rod and they banged that crown of thorns into his head. They took a a purple robe that was supposed to be royal. Oh, the king of the Jews. And they put the robe around him and he said nothing. He didn't tell them. He didn't look at them and say, just wait. One day we're gonna have another meeting, but it's gonna be reversed. No, he didn't say anything like that. He didn't say, you're gonna get what's coming to you. No, he actually did the opposite. On the cross, you see Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't revile He didn't threaten. There was no deceit. But what did Jesus do? Those were the three things he didn't do. But what did he do? Peter tells us that he committed himself to him who judges righteously. To commit yourself to someone means to entrust yourself. To put yourself into the care and protection of another. You see, this is the example that Jesus left for us. That in your life, and we all will experience this, something we get, we get mistreated. It was not right. It was unjust. We experience a personal injustice that we are to simply entrust our life to him, knowing that God is faithful. Knowing that, man, even in this situation, it's not right. That we say, God, I'm going to trust you that in the end, you're going you're gonna to right every wrong that nothing gets swept under the rugs, that we look at what's happening to us, we look to the Lord and we say, God, all right, you have my best interests at heart. And so I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna commit my life to you who judges righteously. And then Peter closes out this section the best way he could. Notice the last two verses of chapter two, and this is where we'll end with what Jesus did. That's how he closes out this section. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Think about it. What if Jesus retaliated when he was being tortured? when he was put on the cross, what if he decided, nah, this ain't worth it. I'm gonna fry all these guys. And he came off the cross and called down legions of angels and they were all disseminated in a moment's time. Guess what? You and I would not be saved. But because he was willing to take the mistreatment, we can commit ourselves to him as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. He was innocent, we were guilty, yet he took our guilt and he gave us his innocence and it's by his stripes that we are healed. It was the shepherd that died for the sheep. He left the 99 and went after the one. The one who was going astray became his pursuit so that you and I could come to the one who looks after our very souls. And so him, he's not just an example. Jesus is not just a good man for us to know how to live. No, he is our savior, who then is our example. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we come before you and thank you for this time in your word. Lord, we look at, <laughs> we look at the type of reputation that we're to have as strangers and it simply seems impossible. And that's because by ourselves, by our own strength, it is. 
but you told us that with God, all things are possible. Lord, and so we ask that you would strengthen us in regards to our moral living. Lord, those, those sins that can so easily ensnare us. Lord, we know that we're not gonna be sinless until heaven, but we ask that you would help us to sin less here. Lord, that no one would be able to look in our life and use our life as an excuse, but rather that they would look into our lives and say, man, they're the real deal. Not perfect, but they're in pursuit. They would look at our life and not see hypocrisy, but they would look and they would see you. It would cause them to say, you are Lord. We pray that you'd use our lives in that way. God, in this area of, Lord, civil obedience, we just pray that we would be upright citizens. We would be an example to others. Lord, though we belong to a heavenly citizenship, we still have an earthly one. And God, would we be the best examples in this area? And would you give us that wisdom of, of when the government does cross the line, when we are to stand and not fold. And God, we ask and pray, ah, Lord, our flesh hates this one. But in the times when we feel like we suffered an injustice with someone who you put in authority over our life, even with mom and dad, there's times when they get it wrong. Lord, I pray for these students that in those moments, of self-justification, so easy, even when we're right. God, I pray that you would teach them and teach us to just trust our lives to you. Lord, we know that we are not to overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And so here we are, God, we entrust our lives to you, asking that you would use us for your glory, that we might not be an excuse for someone to come to Christ, but that we might be a tool for someone to come to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and worship together.
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Gospel, Lord. Um, we 
sisters around the corner, Lord, and we just want to share of your, uh, of your salvation. It's in Jesus' name.
was redeemed all the beauty remains and my orphan heart was given my morning grew quiet my feet rose to dance when death was arrested and my life began oh your grace so Washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. I'm a prisoner no more My shame was a ransom Me faithfully born He canceled my debt And he called me his friend When death was arrested And my life began Oh, oh your grace So free Washes over Just as though heaven had
When I need grace
2017, let's hear it. The loudest shout you've got in you. Give it to us.